Mic on. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Here comes February 4th, uh, Thursday morning, Blind Camp, Winter Blind Camp 2021, first meeting. Mic off. Mic on. Enjoy today's feature presentation. Mic off. Let me know when you're ready. We want to welcome you to the 2021 Winter Camp Meeting for the Blind and the physically challenged. It's unbelievable, it's February 4 already. Can you imagine that? And the Time is going challenged. by when you're having fun, that's what they it's say. It's unbelievable, it's February We're going to have already. a meeting, of course it's imagine? seven o'clock meeting right now, but then at 10 o'clock, I think we're gonna have Debbie uh, come back and, and uh, talk to about healthy living and then this afternoon, Dr. Patterson will come and talk to us some more. And of course, his depression seminar is like a, a class on healthy living too, so we get a double dose of it. So when we go home, we'll, we'll be really healthy, or at least we'll know how to be. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, is there any announcements that anybody thinks we need to make besides what I've said already? Okay, let's have the song service then. Let's turn in our hymn books to page 185, Jesus is all the world to me. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad to him I go. Shine and 
turn on to the next page 186 I found a friend I found a friend oh such a friend he loved me ere I knew him he drew me with the, the cords of love can sever. I am his and he is mine forever and forever. I found a friend, oh such a friend, he bled, he died to save me, and not alone the gift of life, but his own self he So mighty a 
defender from him who loved me so well what power my soul can sever a life or death or earth or hell no I'm and his forever let's turn into our Theme song four twelve. Look upon Jesus, sinless is he. Impute his life unto me, my life of scarlet, my sin and woe, covered with his life, whiter than snow, covered with his life, whiter than snow. Thank you, David. You know, I thought I'd tell you an experience. Of, we've had lots of wild experiences, you know, with uh, serving the blind. One time, we took a whole bunch of blind people down to Indiana uh, to the uh, camp down there, Timber Ridge Camp. And uh, we had a wonderful week down there. And I won't, don't remember everything we did, but I do remember on the way back, we had problems. It's about 400 miles down there to Timber Ridge. And one, we, we had three or four vehicles, I think three, uh, full of blind people and helpers that went down there. And one of those vehicles, the the alternator went bad on that thing. And uh, this was Sunday coming back. And uh, the battery went dead. The car would not run. Because right. the alternator wouldn't. Now, if the battery went dead and the alternator was working, it could go right on down the road and be fine as long as it got it started. But that battery would get dead. So then what we did was we took the battery out of my vehicle, put in the other car, and, uh, and we drove for quite a few miles. Battery went dead. <laughs> so then we switched the battery back. We did that all night long, you know. Until <laughs> about, I remember, the Lord really helped us to get through that night. We were down in uh, 
Southfield, I think, was the last place we delivered people. And the sun was just coming up, you know. Down there, <laughs> it took us all, switching that battery back and forth all night long, and finally we got home. But, you know, the Lord has always got us back Amen. one way or the other. On a Sunday, you can't have anybody, nobody will help you, you know. And uh, so probably if I was as smart then as I am now, I probably would have found an auto parts open and uh, put a new. But maybe I couldn't. It was a, I think it was a Volvo. Those would be hard to probably change anyway. So, but they got it fixed after they got back. Many, many things have happened to, to, to that uh, the devil tries to throw a curve in after a wonderful, wonderful time. But uh, let's have a prayer. And I didn't have anybody scheduled for special music this morning. Does somebody want to sing something? Randy does. Did you, was you going to say something besides, was I had you scheduled to say something besides the song? Why don't you, uh, why don't we have a prayer and then you have a song, okay? Okay. Our Heavenly Father, today we thank you again. We thank you for Randy's willingness to share something with us. And we ask that thou be with the pastor as he presents the Bible lesson. Be with us as we exercise and learn about what you want us to do in our lives. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. amen. I know it might sound like a broken record, but uh, that song, Untold Millions Untold, is one of the things that uh, I learned when I was real young, and it became my ministry. Amen. And here we go. Untold millions are still untold. Untold millions are outside the fold. Who will tell them of Jesus' love and the heavenly mansion awaiting above? Jesus died on Calvary to save each one from sin. Now he calls to you and me to go and bring them in for many. Untold millions are still untold. Untold millions are outside the fold. Who will tell them of Jesus' love and the heavenly mansion awaiting above? We get to study Joseph today. Joseph was, well, a major character. And uh, I was telling Luke this morning, we could have five sermons on Joseph and not cover the whole story. So 
I'll have to choose what to, what to share and what to ignore. Let's pray as we get started. We seek your face, Lord. We want to honor you. We want to understand your will and your way. And as we look at the story of Joseph, we see someone who was willing to give you all the glory, even though he seemed to be one living in glory. He recognized that it was really about you. May we do the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little bit in Hebrews 11 about Joseph, and it's tagged with his daddy. Verses 21 and 22, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Well, that's jumping to the end of the Joseph story. Uh, indeed. Jacob, Israel, did bless Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and even crossed his hands, recognizing that the younger son, Ephraim, was going to get the bigger blessing than the older son, Manasseh. So he gave the right hand to Ephraim and the left hand to Manasseh. Very interesting action. This aspect of the birthright blessing, the double portion. Israel was able to give to his favorite son, Joseph. Now, there are three aspects to the birthright blessing, and that's the only one that Joseph got. The kingship, the rulership, that went to Judah. The priesthood, the spiritual leadership, that went to Levi. But the double portion went to Joseph, and rightly so. Back to the beginning of the story... Rachel, of course, was jealous of her sister, who was able to have a baby every year, and Rachel wasn't getting pregnant, and she got mad at her husband as if it was his fault. Well, <laughs> we, we knew that the problem was not in his, because his other wife was having children, and finally, finally, it says in verse 22 of Genesis 30, God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. And with that, she said, God has taken away my reproach, my embarrassment. She was embarrassed because she couldn't have children. And that still afflicts women today and men. It's, it can be quite a trial. She called his name Joseph, which means the Lord shall add to me another son. So that name Joseph is saying, I've got one, I'm planning on another. And, of course, if you remember the story, she died with the birth of Benjamin, Joseph's kid brother. And it was a number of years before that. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, we learn to trust God, and, and it, it can be a hard lesson to learn to trust him. But um, after those boys started growing up pretty good... Joseph was about 17 years old, and God started visiting him with dreams. Now, we all dream. They've done a lot of scientific study on how these dreams work. And the most significant dreams that we dream are in what they call the REM sleep, R-E-M, rapid eye movement sleep. And it comes, it comes after you've had a good hour and a half of sleep, and it tends to be for a very short period of time. Now, you get more REM sleep after you have been sleeping for six hours or so. So those people who short themselves 
on their nights and only get five or six hours of sleep and say, I'm doing fine. Well, they're cheating themselves on that REM sleep, which is essential for getting your brain set. And it's quite likely that Dr. Patterson will be saying more about that. I don't know. I can't promise. But it's very important in our, in our mental health. So get your eight hours of sleep. That's the big point of that one. But Joseph was getting his sleep and getting his dreams, and God will speak to us in dreams. He may or may not have spoken to you in dreams. You may have recognized it, may not have recognized it. Some people don't recognize when God is speaking to them in a dream. But Jacob had these dreams, and they were very, very interesting. Um, we're in 37, verse 5. Joseph said to his brothers, Listen to the dream I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves all stood around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said, do you think we're ever going to bow down to you? Joseph said, I don't know, but that's what I dreamed. <laughs> God has a pattern of giving dreams in a double when it's a very significant dream and a promise He'll give you two dreams that say the same thing in different words. So, next day, verse 9, he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I dreamed another dream. This time, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed down to me. He told his father and his brothers. His father rebuked him, very gently rebuked him. What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? His brothers, verse 11, envied him, but his father kept these matters in mind. His father said, well, God works in mysterious ways. Now we get to the end of the story and we find that it was not his mother, it was his, may I call her stepmother, his aunt, his, it was Leah that came with Israel to Egypt and indeed did bow to him. He was recognized as the leader of Egypt, the leader of the world at that time, but we're getting ahead of our story. Um, perhaps he was not wise, perhaps a little arrogant as he recounted those dreams to his brothers. Obviously, they resented him, and uh, this arrogant attitude was somewhat fostered by his father, who um, let it be known that he planned to make Joseph the inheritor of the birthright blessings. Well, all 10 of those other brothers were older than him and had a right to it ahead of him. And you get into the books of Moses and you find that God says clearly, you can't jump over the, chill, the, the firstborn son of the less favored wife and give the birthright blessing to the favored son of, or the oldest son of the favored wife. God says, no, no, that's not appropriate. But this time, that's what was done. And indeed, with um, Esau and his brother Jacob, that's what was done. Not, not jumping over a favorite wife, but jumping from the firstborn to the secondborn. And uh, so that's what's going on here. And that's what's promised in the dream. Well, that sure didn't work out well. The jealous brothers when they were away from their father's supervision, they decided, let's kill him. But then they re repented of the idea of killing him after they had thrown him into a pit. 
they didn't really want to shed his blood. Let's just let him starve to death in the pit. And uh, then they decided, oh, there's some Ishmaelite traders. Now, think about that a minute. As soon as we say Ishmael, remember, we talked about Ishmael before. These are our descendants of their uncle or great uncle. And uh, I think that the Ishmaelite traders knew who what family this was. You know, we keep track of our cousins, at least to some extent. And I believe these traders knew that they were buying one of their relatives from his brothers and taking him to Egypt. I think these Ishmaelite traders were deliberate in whom they sold him to when they got to Egypt. Get him into a good home, a place where they'll take good care of him and give him opportunity. Potiphar's house was very well placed in the society of Egypt. Now, perhaps the most important part of the story comes on Joseph's trip to Egypt. He'd been raised we could call it in the church. He'd been raised in a godly home. He had practiced the morning and evening worship that was typical in that Christian home. But there comes a time when we each personally must make sure that we have a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. Not, I am my father's son and my father's a leader in the church, so I am a Christian. But rather, I have found in Christ my own Savior. It's been often said God doesn't have any grandchildren. He has children. Parents have tried to do all they can to get their children connected with God and uh, even pled with God to overlook the sins of my kid, credit them to my account. I want to rescue my child. Well, God's a gentleman. He does not force anybody into the kingdom. Each one of us has to make our own choice to believe his promises, to trust his grace, and to let him work in us. On the way to Egypt, Joseph committed himself to God. He recognized that God had been with him before and that he had been a favored son, but now he was a slave. And it's a bit of a bite to recognize that you're a slave. But he said, okay, God, I will be your slave. And you catch that. We are all slaves either to God or to Satan. Somewhere along we've got to admit that. Am I on the side of God or on the side of Satan? And choose you this day whom you will serve. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jo Joseph, on his way to Egypt, I think he may have been able to see his father's tents in the distance. And he said, I wish I was there. But God... Wherever you want me, that's where I need to be. I'll trust you. And <laughs> thick and thin, most of it thin, he was trusting God with his life from that moment forward. God will take care of us if we will put our trust in him. He got to Egypt, he got sold into Potiphar's house, and he began to show off his skills as a manager. He was a very skilled manager. And Potiphar soon recognized, God's blessing my whole house because of this servant I've got. And he gave Joseph more and more responsibility so that within a few months or years, Joseph was in charge of his whole estate. The Bible says 
and this is really pretty precious. The Bible says that Potiphar had put so much into Joseph's control that he didn't know what he owned anymore, except that his, his table was spread well. I had plenty to eat. <laughs> he didn't worry about keeping the bank accounts. Joseph's got it covered. He's, he's setting a good table for me, and I'm good. Of course, that didn't last. Most of you remember what happened to that experience. Tremendous blessings on Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife, however, was not a good woman. We can only speculate why she would do this thing and, and forsake her husband, but she was casting eyes on this good-looking young man and wanting him to sin with her. She got him in a very compromised position, and he let her pull his garment off him as he was trying to run away from this encounter. And she said, aha, I've got him now. She accused him of raping her. And it's a real messed up society. The, uh, in most instances, it takes two witnesses. But when there's a rape experience, um, one witness is enough, and it just depends on what kind of clout you have, whether the girl's going to be believed or the guy is going to be believed. Well, this instance, I think Potiphar recognized that for his marriage sake, he had to act like he believed his wife, but for a matter of integrity, he realized that this would not be the kind of thing that Joseph would do. Uh, so he did the politically expedient thing. If he believed his wife, he would have, if he really believed his wife, he would have had Joseph executed. He had the right. He was a slave. He could have had him killed. He did not have him killed. He had him instead thrown into prison. Egyptian prisons of that day and time were not placed where people would languish there for years like we do in our, our prison system here in this country. You got thrown into prison till the judgment was passed down, and then something happened. You might have been put into servile slavery, work in the mines until you died, very, very hard work, or executed things, or, or delivered. That Joseph was left in prison is indicative that Potiphar knew that he was innocent. And again, we see God's blessing on Joseph. He had trusted his life to God, and even in prison, he was able to say, well, God, if this is where you want me, this is where I'm going to blossom. Bloom where you're planted. When God places you in a situation, say, okay, God, how do we work this situation for your glory? And they did. He was placed in charge of the prison. His managerial skills were evident, and he wasn't trying to escape. No, this is where God's placed me. This is where I am. I'll do my best. And the experiences there were recounted, particularly the story of his helping out Potiphar's two servants, a butler and a baker, telling the butler that he was going to be restored to his place, and the baker that in three days he was going to be executed. That prophecy was fulfilled in response to their dreams. They each had a dream, so that's two dreams that came together. That was a confirmed thing. And uh, the butler, of course... The work of the butler was really a wine taster. He was supposed to make sure that the food that came to the king 
wasn't poisonous, so he'd have to taste everything before the king would eat it. Uh, very responsible physician, and he promised Joseph, uh, you can just see this in the prison, oh, Joseph, I love you and appreciate you. You've interpreted my dream, and of course I will tell the, the king about you. Of course I will, I will get him to rescue you. But then, of course, he forgot as soon as he got free, oh, that, that manager of the prison, he's not important anymore. But then Pharaoh had dreams. Pharaoh had two dreams. One was of a stalk of corn, healthy ears, and then shriveled ears. The shriveled ears eat up the healthy ears, and then healthy cows, seven of them, and seven weak and sickly cows. The sickly cows eat up the healthy cows, and they still, I know, Cows don't eat cows. They're not cannibalistic. They're not even meat eaters. But in the dream, that's what he saw. And, of course, Pharaoh is asking everybody to help him understand the dream. Pharaoh, being worshipped as a god, was supposed to explain any dream he had. It was a bit of an embarrassment for him to ask for help. And he asked his other, the high priests of the other gods, please explain this to me. No one would touch this with a 10-foot pole. Even if they had a suspicion of what it might mean, they didn't want to say anything. And then finally the butler remembers. <laughs> well, um, Master, I've been derelict in my duty. I haven't told you what I should have told you, but I promised this man I'd tell him, I'd, I'd, I'd tell you about him. He's in prison and he really doesn't belong here. He's a good guy. Um, but he interpreted my dream and I believe he can interpret yours. This was the providence of God to rescue Joseph from prison. Yes, the butler was embarrassed that he hadn't said what he should have said, but it's right on time. God delivers him from prison right on time. And the meteoric rise, can you imagine from being a prisoner in the prison to being the prime minister overnight? <laughs> overnight! Once Joseph was brought from the prison and... Uh, explained the dreams to Pharaoh, Joseph, in God's wisdom, Joseph said to Pharaoh, God has given you a warning that you have seven years when you're going to have bumper crops, and then is going to come famine. Seven years of abject famine. The land will not produce. Only by storing and saving from those seven years will you be able to survive the seven lean years. And uh, Joseph boldly said to Pharaoh, you need to get somebody in charge of that and make good storehouses and store that grain. And in the providence of God, Pharaoh said, well, I perceive that you're the man. <laughs> Joseph, coming straight from prison, is recognized by Pharaoh to be a manager of skill. And so he not merely gives him charge of building storehouses, but he says, I'm going to put you in charge of the whole country. <laughs> You're second in command to me. You have my seal to, to sign anything you need to sign, and I endorse it. <laughs> Meteoric rise. Oh, and besides, he gave him a wife, too. <laughs> He's 30 years old. He's old enough to get married. And Pharaoh says, well, I've picked a girl for you and gave him a wife. <laughs> Joseph chose to love that wife, that gift from Pharaoh, he took as a gift from God and took responsibility. And they had these sons we talked about, Ephraim and Manasseh, during the years of plenty. 
Well, that would be a good enough story about Joseph, but it gets better. You remember where we started with his dreams and his, his brothers bowing down to him? Well, as soon as the years of famine came, they afflicted not only Egypt, but also Canaan, where his father and brothers lived. And the story came probably from those same Ishmaelite traders that said there's corn in Egypt. Uh, the story came to Israel, and he said to his boys, ten of them, go down to Egypt and, and get some grain. And so ten boys went down to Egypt, and of course, when Joseph saw them, he speaking Egyptian, they speaking Canaanite, they had no idea that he understood Canaanite, but that's his mother tongue. He may not have been practicing it for some years, but you don't forget you just don't forget. And so he heard his brothers talking, and they're bowing down to him. But remember, the dream had not been 10 brothers bowing down to him. It was 11 brothers bowing down to him. So he knew that, that this is not the fulfillment of the dream. It's pointing toward it, but it's not the fulfillment. So he uh, dealt carefully with his brothers. Now, why would he be so mean to his brothers? accusing them of being spies and throwing them into prison for three days and telling them they needed to choose one to send back home and get the other brother before he would let them buy grain. He was, it sounded pretty obnoxious. Well, he needed to know, are you still selfish and grasping or are you ready to look out for the rest of the encampment? He's got some close, some pretty clear hints that they were changed men, and they were indeed. They had some more changing to do, and that happened over time. He chose one to keep in prison and let the other nine go home. There is a reason. <laughs> Randy remembers. It was Simeon that got, got kept in prison. Why was it Simeon? Well, Joseph knew that Simeon had some issues in his life. Simeon had been extraordinarily cruel in dealing with the seduction of their sister Diana and had killed the whole city because of that. So uh, Simeon had some lessons to learn. So it was appropriate for him to select Simeon as the one to stay by. And then the rest of them went home. They saw some hints that things weren't what they seemed when they discovered that the money that they'd paid for their grain was in the sack of grain. The very same coins that they had paid are still with us. They said, something's, something's strange here. And of course, they had some explaining to do to their daddy. They had let their daddy think that Joseph was dead. And now they have lost another of his children. Not one of his favorite children, but this is a, a son of Leah. So this is one of his earliest born children. I think about second or third in the list. And then they told their daddy, the man said that we cannot see his face unless we bring Benjamin. And the daddy said, wait a minute, that's not going to happen. I've already lost Benjamin's full brother. You're not going to take Benjamin. And that's that. That's final. Well, <laughs> within a year or so, they'd eaten up all the grain that they bought. And Israel says, uh, boys, there's still grain in Egypt. You need to go get it. And the boys said, dad, can't do it. Can't do it would be useless to go 
because the ruler of the land said, unless we bring our brother, we won't see his face. And he said, you're going to bring my gray hairs in sorrow to the grave. I can't let you do it. And I'm sure Benjamin came up and said, Dad, my boys are getting hungry. Benjamin already had a handful of children. Dad, we, we need to do this. And other boys came in. Reuben boldly said, well, you can, I'll be surety. You can kill me if, if I don't come. But Reuben wasn't so believable. Just It was a little brash and blunt the way he said it. But then Judah came forward. And, and this is one of the reasons that Judah got elevated was Judah's willingness. He said, I'll be surety for Benjamin. I will pledge my life for Benjamin. I will make sure that Benjamin is safe. And uh, Judah's demeanor indicated that he was a changed man. He had been a selfish man. There's a story in, in Genesis 38 that is a shocking story of Judah's foolishness. But Judah has become a changed man, and he's ready to put his life on the line for somebody else. As should any of us be willing. So uh, finally Israel accepted, and he sent now, again, ten brothers on their way to Egypt, and they go happily and expectantly. So, they get to Egypt, and they see Joseph, and Joseph says, uh, take him to my house and feed him dinner. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. At that dinner, there's, uh, Simeon has come to join them, so there's the 11 boys, and they're all arranged at separate table. It looks delicious. The food is abundant. And I believe that Joseph did some several indications that uh, he knew more than what they had any reason to think that he knew. Um, first of all, he seated them in age order. Well, even when you read the scriptures, you scratch your head saying, what's the exact age order? Um, because they're given somewhat thematically. Leah had four children, four boys, and then the handmaiden started having children. And then Leah had two more, and finally uh, Rachel had her two, so they were the youngest. And so Benjamin is at the youngest position, way down at the tail of the table. Right. They gave Benjamin seven times as much food as any of the other brothers. Joseph is testing them, see if they're going to get jealous, saying, why does he get all that? Why is he getting special treatment? But they just accepted. <laughs> they... they, they evidence their changed nature in how they handle that. But Joseph's still not satisfied. He, um, he lets them go home with their grain and uh, with the money put back in the top of their sacks. But now he has them hide his special silver cup. Now you say, why is it silver instead of gold? Because in Egypt at that time, silver was more valuable than gold. <laughs> Interesting thing we find when we start researching this history. The silver was treasured more than gold in that culture. And so it's a silver cup that he has put in there. And they say that it's with that cup that he can practice divination. Well, now, Joseph was not practicing divination by worshiping any cup. 
Joseph was practicing divination by saying, God, tell me what I need to know. And God told him whatever he needed to know. <laughs> that all came together well. Um, so this special cup is hidden in Benjamin's sack. And they're on their way home, don't get very far, when the soldiers come and round him up saying, what do you think you're doing, stealing from our master? You all were there and you saw that special cup that he was drinking out of and you stole it. And they say, oh my, no, we would, we're not thieves. We're, we're servants of the Most High God and we're honoring God. And they say, well, one of you stolen it and whoever's stolen it is going to be a slave of, of Joseph. Of course, they don't call him Joseph. Zaphnath Paneah. They give him a big, big, long name that says he's, he's the one who lives. Nice, special name. But um, they say, well, we're going to search. And the brothers say, whoever sack you find it in will become your slave. We'll all become your slaves. You can kill whoever, whoever sack you find it in. We're innocent. We wouldn't do such a thing. So they started, the oldest, Reuben, and they worked their way through these brothers' sacks until they get to the youngest, Benjamin. And as soon as they open Benjamin's sack and find that cup in the sack, all the brothers tear their clothes, start to wail, <laughs> and uh, they change their tune. They can't believe that Benjamin would steal it. And Benjamin declares he's innocent, he didn't steal it. But it's there. The evidence is there. He's caught red-handed as if he was a thief. And all the brothers say, we're going back. We will be slaves to Pharaoh. We're not willing to go home without our brother. And then when they get in front of Joseph, and Joseph is calling them to account, saying, how could you do such a thing? How, how selfish are you? And Judah comes forward. And this is in anticipation of what Judah had said to his daddy. It's an evidence of his changed nature. He comes forward. I can see him kneeling in front of this high Egyptian official and saying, I promised my daddy that I'd make sure that Benjamin came home. Keep me as a slave. Kill me if you want. But this boy needs to get back to his daddy or his daddy will die. Joseph is touched. He, he has to go off and have a good cry first. But he sends all of the Egyptians from the room, and he tells his brothers, come closer. And then he says to them, first time they hear him talking in Canaanite, I'm Joseph. <laughs> they just about die when he says, I'm Joseph. When they realize he probably takes off some of the entrapments that were typical of the leadership. Sometimes they would wear a, a wig. Sometimes they would paste on a, a, uh, a beard. Sometimes they wore their own beard, just depending on how things were going. Um, special clothes, perhaps a golden collar, special robes. He lays aside some of these entrapments and they see, oh yeah, you do look like our, our brother Joseph. <laughs> and they're scared to death. You have every right to kill us. He, he had been sold into slavery by these boys, and now they're grown men, and they realize they have sinned against God, against their brother, against their father, and it's all coming a cropper. They're, they're in trouble. They're in deep, deep trouble. And Joseph says to them, catch this, you meant evil for me. 
but God planned it for good. God sent me before you into Egypt so that I could provide for your needs at this time. Go home and get dad. Bring him here. I'll send wagons. Bring him back so that you can survive the next five years of famine. I'll take care of you. The brothers accept it. Um, it's an it's a amazing thing. I try to imagine his reunion with his daddy. He hadn't tried to contact his father during his time of, of wealth in Egypt. He, as the prime minister of Egypt, had connection with all kinds of countries. He could have. But in the providence of God, he chose to wait on God's timing. You catch the significance of that. God wants us to wait for him even when circumstances look really, really torn up. When it looks like we could do something for ourselves, he says, works righteousness, don't get it. Trust in me, faith. Faith is the way to go. Um, when he saw his daddy, I'm sure they both cried. <laughs> his father had thought him dead. And he thought he'd never see his father again. But his father is... Getting up in years, I think he's about 130-something by now, 139. Uh, <laughs> but um, his, he and his daddy had some time together. His father, um, Israel, lived to be 147 years. And Joseph lived to be 110. When Joseph introduced Isaac to Pharaoh, very interesting and, and touching scene, uh, be Genesis 47, verse 10. Pharaoh asked a few questions of, Is of, Is of Israel, but um, the, the scene ends with Israel raising his hands and pronouncing a blessing on Pharaoh. May God's blessings be on you, Pharaoh, because you have been cooperating with his direction. You have listened when he gave you dreams. You can just hear that blessing as, as Israel blesses Pharaoh. Who's, who's the bigger man here? Everybody recognizes Israel is the man of God. And Pharaoh humbly bows and accepts that blessing. Arrogance set aside. No, I will receive the blessing from God. Um, there's a lesson here for us. Our lives can be confusing. And we do go through trials and difficulties. We, we've scheduled this camp because of a particular disability that some people are afflicted with called blindness. But uh, what we really need is spiritual eyes that we see God working in our life. God works in our life. He works better in our life when we say, God, I want whatever you want for my life. But he still works in our life even when we say, well, I want to do my own thing. <laughs> we bull our own way. He keeps working out situations that will help us to turn our eyes to him, the God who loves and saves. We need to learn to praise God in the good times and in the bad times. We need to yield our life to him and accept his direction wherever he seems to be leading us and say, praise the Lord, I'm marching on, I'm serving him. He will orchestrate our lives for his glory. The key for us is to trust and praise him through it all. It's only God who deserves the glory. Even if he calls us to a position of high leadership, 
as Joseph was, we don't get the big head. We look, look to God and say, thank you. We praise him. Gracious Lord, as we contemplate the story of Joseph, this humble man who gave you all the glory for his life, we praise and thank you for the life you've given to us. Yes, we've had our trials. We've had our difficulties. We have the issues that make life diff different and difficult for us, but we trust you, Lord. We give you our lives and give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>